It has been a fun summer. We have been in a series called Will It Float for the last several weeks. And some of you are wondering about the fish tank. And uh, if you haven't been for a couple weeks, um, don't worry. We're not doing uh, some kind of crazy kid baptism. Um, it's just part of a uh, uh, illustration because we've been in a series called Will It Float. And it actually comes from this idea that there's a lot of expressions that float around in church world. And some of them are out of the Bible. Some of them are just sound like they're out of the Bible. And some of them are just things that people say about church folks in church church world. And so my question is, yeah, we say it or we hear it, but does it hold water? Is it true? Does it float? So we've been opening every series with some funny random items uh, that we want to know, and I want to know if you think they float or not. So we're going to play a little game called Will It Float? Here's how you can participate with me in Will It Float? If you put your thumb up, then that means you believe that the item I'm going to drop in the fish tank is going to float. If you put it down, then it means you think that it will sink. If you don't participate, then we'll put you in the fish tank and see if you float. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. So we've done some fun things. We did soda cans. Um, we did produce. Today, we kind of have a, a hodgepodge of around-the-house things that I don't know if my wife took. I took. No, I knows I took. So we're going to have a little fun here. I have... This is a Pillsbury Grand's Cinnabon package of cinnamon rolls. It's in some kind of, con I don't know what this is. Sure, cardboard, perfect. All right, so show of hands, will it float, thumbs up, or will it sink, thumbs down? It's pretty heavy. Let me look at some ingredients here. It has, you don't wanna know how many calories and how much fat, a lot. Five grams of protein, all right? Five grams of protein in here, awesome. <laughs> all right, thumbs up or thumbs down, is it gonna float? Here we go, one. Two, three. Oh, it floats. All right. If your thumb is up, you got a point there. All right. I also have a, um, it doesn't look too, yeah, pepper jack cheese. Ooh, a cheese block. Does cheese float? It's not Swiss cheese. Oh, that's pretty awesome. All right. Will it float? It sinks. Oh, give you guys a hand, self a hand. All right, I got a couple more things. These are fun. All right. Ooh, what is this? Tillamook. This looks expensive. She might not have wanted me to take this. Farm style Greek strained Oregon blueberry yogurt. Do Oregon blueberries in a Tillamook thing of things float? I don't. Let me look at some ingredients here for you guys. Sodium, forty-five milligrams. Seventeen grams of carbs in this. Fourteen grams of protein. I've never looked at this many labels in my whole life. All right, 2% milk fat. Oh, it's sinking like a rock. It's got milk fat in there. No? All right, thumbs up or thumbs down. Here we go. Will it float? Let's see if I can get a little splash zone. Oh, look at that. You could build a little raft out of those. All right, you guys bored? We got a little bit more? Okay, this one's fun. Look at this, kielbasa. Woo! How about a giant sausage? Something just... It's got no skin on it. That's what it says. All right, let's see what this one has in it. It is, um, these are 15 grams of fat, 490 milligrams of sodium. I don't know if that's good or not. Four grams of sugar. What do you guys think? Is it going to float? Is it going to sink? Oh, you guys are not convinced on this. It's split about dead even. Here we go. Does it float? Oh, oh! it sunk slowly. It sunk slowly. All right, last one, because I thought this was funny. I don't even know if it'll fit in my fish tank. This is a giant tub of chocolate, low-fat, healthy ice cream. It's like made out of uh, 
All right, what do you guys think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Is this giant thing of ice cream gonna sink or is it gonna float? All right, we're split across the middle. Will it fit in the tank? Oh, wait for it. It floats, all right. Good job. All right, you guys can stare at that and be mesmerized by it all service long. We'll have ice cream afterwards. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're in this series called Will It Float, and we've tackled a couple of fun ones, like does God cause all things to work together for good or not, and will God give us more than we can handle or not? If you missed one of those and you want to check it out, it is available. You can go to our website and check out the podcast. But today... There's a quote out there that's been pretty famous ever since some guy named Gandhi said it, and it looks like something like this. It says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Gandhi said that, and essentially what he was implying there is that Christians are hypocrites. And so I'm wondering this morning if that's true. I'm wondering if that's a true criticism or how we feel about that. So we're going to walk in that a little bit today. And here's the problem. Many of us have had experiences that bear this truth out. I can remember several years ago, I had a friend who was a pastor and he was a guy I really looked up to. He's one of those guys that was such a gifted speaker or communicator that he always got invited to do every event. Some of you guys know those kind, of, those kind of guys. Every time you go somewhere, you're like, oh yeah, this guy is the guy. And he was, he was a really, a lot of energy, really exciting guy. But what was really powerful for me as I got to know him is he had a really powerful testimony of things he dealt with within his family. You see, his dad had been a pastor and he was second generation. But when he was in high school, his dad had an affair and ripped the family apart. And for years... For years, he was angry at his dad and he was angry at God. And his story of coming back to meet God again in the pain of loss of having had a father who left, it just resonated with me. If you know anything of my story, you know I don't do so. Uh, I get emotional quick. We start talking about dads. And so this pastor was one of my friends and we got to know each other. I was a young guy just starting out doing youth ministry and he would have me come sometimes to, to things where he was speaking and, and, and he would have me come up and pray and, and do things and just really believed in me. And it was, it was really encouraging to have this guy who was, was becoming well-known say, you come with me and, and you have these gifts and, I'm, and, and affirming those things in me. And he had this powerful story and he was just one of those guys in my life that spoke life into me, that helped me believe that God could use me to actually do more than what I thought I could do. And then the stunner, he was off at a conference and uh, he was down in the hotel uh, lobby, which turned out to hanging out down in the hotel bar, which turned to having a few drinks, which turned to meeting someone, which turned to having an affair. And in the midst of all of that, he blew up his family he decided that he was angry at God and the world for the cards that he'd been dealt and just ripped that apart, moved away, and started a new life. And I remember thinking, I get emotional, how could you do this? Like, I know some people do this, but your experience, your story, what you told and shared me, I watched you stand in front of people and declare that God had, had restored you 
from having experienced this in the generation before you, how could you walk into this thing? I mean, any other way to blow it up your life, fine, but this way. And I remember just being skeptical. And I got skeptical in my heart. It got into me. Come on now. It got into me. Does anyone really believe? If this guy then doesn't live it, then who lives it? Does anyone really live it? Is anyone really reading this book and saying, this is the truth and this is who I want to become? Is there anyone who's, and it, and it jaded, it got in my heart. And I had to carry that weight and I had to ask the question, maybe everyone is faking it. You see, we hear, we hear the term hypocrite a lot. So I wonder if we really know what it means. Let me throw the definition up here. This is not my definition. It's just pulled from the dictionary. Hypocrite. It's a person who pretends. I want you to catch that. A person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs, principles, etc., that he or she does not actually possess especially a person whose actions belie those stated beliefs. You see, a hypocrite is a pretender. A hypocrite is a pretender. I was thinking about where the word hypocrite actually comes from, and it actually comes from actors wearing masks. So I have kids, which means I have masks around the house. Right? Rocking it. It does. It's like, it's perfect. I'm, you're right. It is mine. It's not my kids. No, <laughs> no TC. <laughs> right? And here's the picture of a hypocrite. A hypocrite's a pretender. They're playing at something that they aren't actually in their life. So if I walk up to my kids and I'm like, hey, I'm bad dad. Right? And, I, and I, I can play and entertain this idea. And it may be fun to dress up into this outfit, into this persona, and to take on these characteristics. But here's the distinction. No matter how many times I put this on, I don't suddenly become a billionaire who has a cave full of electronic goodies. And dang it, I would love the car at least of all things, right? If I'm going to play pretend, let's play pretend in the car, not with a mask. But, uh, <laughs> but right? But this is a picture of what a hypocrite is. Somebody who wears a mask, who is a pretender, who says, I'm going to commit to this act while I'm in front of all of you, but who I really am is behind the mask. Now, this is fun to talk about because we live in a world where we wear masks all the time. Many of us wear masks at church. One of the funnest things about hanging out in the parking lot and greeting you guys is you guys can't fight in the parking lot and then turn it around in here because I see you in the parking lot. So you got to get whatever household fight that you got going on done before you get out of the car because Pastor Mike's out there saying hi in the parking lot, right? In the olden days, you might have been able to finish fighting all the way till you get to the door and then be like, hey, it's great to see everybody today, right? But we do that in church world all the time. We put on masks we present a certain way because we don't want anyone to see what we're really dealing with. Why is that? I don't know. But we feel like we need to. Some of us have masks that we wear for work. You go to work. Come on now. Certain people are around. You put your mask on. You laugh at their jokes. You interact with their world, right? Your boss ain't that funny, but you laugh. Come on. <laughs> Katie, easy. I saw that. 
<laughs> right? But we put the mask on, we play the game, it just makes life easier. Then we get home, we throw our keys on the counter, we look at our husband, wife, whatever, and we're like, oh, let me tell you about what I dealt with today. We have trained ourselves to wear masks. And hypocrites, the word hypocrite comes <clears throat> from that picture of we are pretending. We're wearing a mask so that we can interact socially with other people and they don't ever get a picture of who we really are or what we're really dealing with. And that's where that picture comes from. <clears throat> so we come to a place like this and we feel a pressure to pretend. I think it's weird that this is a place we feel a pressure to pretend. I think it's weird that church is a spot where we're not sure that we would be loved or accepted if people knew what we were really like. We have special church vocabulary that we only use on Sunday. Come on now. Our regular vocabulary we would never use. We have special level church level jokes that are Sunday appropriate. Our regular jokes we would never use. What's funny though is we didn't invent this. This isn't new to Celebration Center or new to America or new to the 2010s. As a matter of fact, for as long as people had been getting together and doing worship together, they'd been doing that same thing. It's been happening through the years. There's a reason that uh, uh, for, for years and years and years, this perception has been out there because we have for years felt like we have to put on, come on now, a certain exterior to look like we are something that perhaps we actually are not. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 15 because Jesus confronts this right head on. And I think it's brilliant to see the words of Jesus as he's dealing with church folks who are pretenders and how he invites us to be authentic. So <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, I'm gonna be in Matthew chapter 15 and we're gonna walk through a, a large section here and then we'll jump over to Ephesians um, chapter uh, four, I think, and you can, uh, chapter three, and you can jump there next. But I'm in Matthew chapter 15. And here's Jesus. I love Jesus when he interacts with church folks. Here's the thing that, that always surprises me. If you haven't gotten into your Bible very much and just seen what Jesus was like, there is something about Jesus that is so fun to explore. And here's the truth. People who were not like Jesus really liked Jesus, and Jesus really liked them. The people who were the most like Jesus never liked Jesus, and it seems like he had a hard time with them too. Did you track with me there? The people who were not like Jesus, who were not perfect or trying to pretend like they were perfect, seemed to interact with Jesus in a way that was really positive all the time. But the people who were trying to behave the most like Jesus seem to constantly be in tension with Jesus. And I can't understand for the life of me why that is, except that he recognized pretenders when he saw it. So here's Jesus, Matthew chapter 15. And some Pharisees and some teachers of the law come to Jesus from Jerusalem and ask. Now, you have to understand who Pharisees and teachers of the law are. We talk about these groups of people oftentimes, but the Pharisees are the religious ruling class. It's a political class. They have control of the temple. They control the worship elements. They're like the religious police. And so as a result of their role, they have to present a certain way. 
Everything they do is about presentation to other people because their relationship with the Lord is all based on looking, come on now, a certain way. That were the Pharisees. Now, the teachers of the law, some translations will call scribes. And that word for scribe or for teacher, essentially it, it breaks down to repeater. You know, a teacher is someone who repeats information. And so they were the people who would go to synagogues and basically repeat or teach the law. And so these are two groups of people. They're connected relationally, but they're in the class system of the religious elite. And they come to Jesus and they ask him a great question. <clears throat> Verse two, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. <laughs> now I got kids. I don't know if you have kids or have ever had kids or were a kid. But there is a conversation that happens at least three times a day in my house. Hey, time to eat. All these feet come running. Hey, did you wash your hands? And then the fight starts, right? Because there's a close sink, there's a far sink, and there's a really far sink, and there's three kids. One of them's larger. Guess which one he gets? The close sink. Guess where the fight breaks out? The second sink, right? <laughs> as, the, uh, as the six and four-year-old duke it out for that sink, right? Because they want to wash their hands quickly so they can come and eat. I don't know if you have that tradition that you wash your hands before you eat or not. I'm not judging you. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Both the judging and the washing of the hands. <laughs> but this seems like a reasonable request. For years, I've read this and kind of thought, ah, oh, this is a rough thing to get upset about, Jesus. It's a pretty practical because I don't know what the situation was at this table. Was there like one bowl of cut fruit and we're all reaching into the same bowl and it's like a bag of popcorn or something, you know what I mean? And you're sharing popcorn with somebody and you're like, oh, I just saw them pick their nose and now they're eating into my popcorn, right? Like, is that what's happening? Because if that's what's happening, then okay, that should, you know, let's talk about that. Because <laughs> I might say, Jesus, your buddies, right? I mean, we know they were fishermen and, you know, they're probably just used to working with their hands. They've been traveling. It's muddy where they're going from place to place. And, you know, that seems like a reasonable request to me. What's interesting, though, <laughs> is they ask the disciples why they break the tradition of the elders. Now, that's a critical distinction we have to make before we get into the, what the washing of the hands was. It was a tradition of the elders, which means their tradition that they had implied required this particular type of washing of hands. It was not the law. Now, there was a law about priests washing their hands as part of the ritual cleansing before they handled offerings and things of that nature or before they handled food before they went into the temple because it was part of keeping them ritually clean. And so there was a law that existed that morphed with some extra rules into what these guys were doing. Now, let me tell you what these guys were doing. They had a washing ceremony before every meal for these religious elite folks where they washed their hands and then they had all of the dishes that they were going to use brought out and they would watch them all get washed individually. And it was this showy moment that basically said, I'm proving to everybody else out there that I will not be stained by dishes that haven't been ceremonially washed to specification because I'm spiritual. Nothing dirty can get to me before I eat. I will not be made unclean. Do you see the distinction between that and washing your hands? What 
these guys are asking for is, why didn't you get up and demonstrate to everybody that you are like us, unwilling to be stained by or defiled by the dirt that's in the world? It was a ceremonial, it was a way to just demonstrate class. We're classier than the common man who just, you know, rinses off and dives in and eats. It was a social thing. It was a standing thing. So Jesus replied, and I love this. Jesus, I just think we don't know enough about Jesus. We talk about him all the time, but I just, every time I see him interact and respond, I'm just like, Jesus is a savage. Like he has no problems just going to town, right? Verse three, it says, Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Wait, what? For God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is now a gift devoted to God, he's not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. Okay, I just want you to catch this. This is a ginormous burn. Jesus just reads their mail, right? It's like, (laughs) here's what they're doing. In their law, right, fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, right? Simple, basic thing. Well, here's part of why that's so important. There is no social security at this time. There's no Medicaid. There's nothing that is in place to take care of the elderly once they can't work anymore, okay? And so it is a responsibility in their law for the children to protect and honor their parents, okay? So what would happen is the children would basically take over the estate of mom and dad as they got older, and then because they didn't want to take those resources and use them to take care of mom and dad anymore, they would do a ceremony where they would invite everybody in and say, look at all of these possessions in my house. Everything I have is now dedicated to the Lord. Well, I can't take things that are dedicated to the Lord and use them on mom and dad. Do you see what happened there? There was a cultural thing that Jesus is pointing out. See, if you don't know the cultural thing, you miss the weight of this burn. This is a massive burn in your face. You're telling me to parade in front of everybody and wash my hands and demonstrate how holy I am. Why are you conspiring to cheat your parents, to dishonor them, allowing them to starve and die in the street so that you can protect your own stuff and calling that godly? I told you Jesus spits fire. He is just like, I am not dealing with your workaround. And then he says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. I was reading that over and over again this past week. How often do we nullify the word of God for the sake of our traditions. There are so many places I wanted to go here. I'll be really careful and I'll just say worship style, right? Song choices or whatever things that we just have traditions. We all have traditions that we like, right? Dress on Sunday that we like. Um, You know, we want someone who teaches line by line like I'm doing right now, or we want someone who goes topical, or we want, we just have traditions. 
And those traditions become as important to us or more important to us than living the word of God. Everyone got quiet. I thought about going Bible translation. I didn't know if that would be a fight or if anybody cared about that, right? There's so many traditions that we have. You know that it wasn't written in the 1600s? The scriptures predates that, so... Okay, I'm gonna go there. <laughs> I'm just gonna pick a fight that no one's having with me. So, so, <laughs> but let's just talk about that. We have traditions, and traditions aren't bad, but they're not the Word of God. They're not our journey with Jesus. And traditions are okay. It's okay to have styles and things that we like. When it comes to things like worship, I'll pick on worship for a minute. I love our worship. I think our worship's the best period on the planet. I'm happy. I'm happy with what God's doing in this place. But there's a lot of styles, and I like other styles. I like gospely stuff. I could live with a choir if we could do a choir. Not every week, but I could live with a choir. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me qualify that. I'll say that one more time for you podcast listeners, not every week, but, <laughs> but I love the idea of a choir. Why not? That's awesome. I love call and response worship, right? I love that. I can get into that. I love the hymns. I think we should rock out the hymns and we should do them traditional. Listen, I love the 90s stuff. That's when I was, come on, finding Jesus. Give me some refiner's fire. Let's do this, <laughs> right? Come on. I love all of that, but I don't need refiner's fire to worship. I don't need the talent that we have up here. Praise God for the talent to worship. To live what God's called me to do, I don't need something that fits my, come on, my tradition. I don't need that. So I'll do whatever the Spirit's doing in this place to reach this season for this moment because I just want to live what God's called me to do. I don't want to ever nullify the word of God for some tradition that I like. So if I, you know, if I, if I can only worship with electric or if I can't have the electric, I mean, get out of here. I read a, uh, <laughs> I read a, uh, I think it was a, a blog from one of, one of my pastor friends and he was talking about a, a funeral and uh, it was powerful because he said he was doing a funeral for, for an older gal who had went to be with Jesus, just one of the saints. And, and, uh, <laughs> and he said in the, end of the service, they had someone come up and do a hymn. And it, they, everyone talked about how it was this woman's favorite hymn. And this one had been going to his church for years and years and years and years and years. And he knew for a fact they hadn't played that hymn in all that time that he'd been there, right? And, and what he was writing about was how amazing is it that her favorite, <laughs> her favorite song for her to hear it played in church again, she had to be on the other side of, uh, of eternity, right? And, and, uh, and, and I go, oh, that, you know, that's sweet. But how amazing his comment was that she came faithfully every week and poured her life into people and to, and to loving God, even though her favorite song never was played. <laughs> Come on now. That's, that's how we're supposed to do it, right? If our traditions don't get met, our expectation isn't met, we still live the word of God. We still live what God's called us to do. We don't nullify it for the sake of our traditions. Now, it's okay. Traditions are good. I'm not saying they're bad. We have traditions here. I have traditions. They're fine. But I'll never nullify the word of God just for that. I don't want to switch into consumer mode, just trying to program the church to meet my traditional needs. I want to be in, in service mode. God, here I am, Lord, use me, whatever you're doing. 
So where was I? Jesus is grumpy uh, about this concerns over the outward traditions and no concern for actually living God, God's word. And here comes the bomb, verse seven. You hypocrites. He's just pouring it on. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Remember the biblical definition of hypocrite. It's someone who's acting like something or someone that in their heart they actually are not. So he gets a little bit more specific here. And he says, Isaiah prophesied. He said, there's gonna be church folks who are like this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Basically, outwardly, I'm looking good and I'm able to say the right things. Come on now. I can do the church language. I can, I can change my humor and rein it into the right level for church appropriate, whatever it is, right? My lips are honoring but on my heart, I'm far from God. Verse nine, they worship me in vain and their teachings are just rules that are taught by men. Um, ouch. Ouch. Jesus says, <laughs> Isaiah, so again, this is not a new phenomenon. Isaiah pointed forward and goes, this is how it's gonna look when people stop loving God, but still like the tradition of doing church and getting together and having this community, but they stop loving God. It's gonna look like we say a lot of things that aren't actually in our heart. It's gonna look, come on, like worship that's not authentic or connected to God. And it's gonna look like a lot of rules that people put in place that have nothing to do with following Jesus. It's amazing how few rules Jesus really expected. People came up to him time and time again and asked, what's important? What must I do to be saved? Break down the law for me. Give it to me. And time and time again, the same response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. He simplifies. I don't know how else to say this, but if anyone ever complicates it for you more than that, they're treading with just merely human rules. They're just treading with that. Your little hypocrite detector better go bing, right? Even if it's me, you have my permission. <laughs> so verse 10 Jesus with all the burns. Jesus called out to the crowd and said, so there's a crowd around, right? And he's like, listen and understand. What goes into the man's mouth isn't what makes him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean. He says, listen, it's the inside of the person's heart. When you see that displayed, you'll know if they're really clean or not. Stop watching these guys walk outside and wash up and have every dish and kettle and pot brought to them and washed. At one point, a little bit later on, he's gonna be talking to a similar group and he's gonna say, you guys are like whitewashed tombs, right? You're beautiful to the look at, but you get closer and what you see is death on the inside. And no matter how attractive the tomb is, come on now, it still houses death and not life. He's saying, don't worry about what it looks like on the outside. Verse 12, and I love this because the disciples are like, 
uh, Jesus? Look at this. Look at this. This is great. Then the disciples came to him and asked, uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Now that you kind of carried the weight of the story, can you imagine? Here's the disciples, and they're like, oh, excuse me, Jesus, are you sure you wanted to just really burn those guys? Because you burned those guys pretty hard, right? And so I love that they're concerned that he may not get that what he said was incredibly offensive. <laughs> it just, it's like, seriously? <laughs> I just, I, yeah. <laughs> I, you can just, ima- I, I just imagine Jesus' eyes like roll a little bit. Okay, here we go, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and so uh, verse 13 says, every plant, he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall in a pit. He says, they're just caught up looking at the wrong things. They can't even see. They can't even see. Am I worried about offending them? I'm not worried about offending them. Why would I be worried about offending them? I'm trying to give them truth but they won't see it. So just leave it alone. Don't worry. Don't try to go make their feelings feel better. (laughs) They're just blind. They don't want to see it. Why? Because they have created a culture where as long as they look good on the outside, come on now, no one cares about what's happening on the inside. (laughs) I had to finish the thought. I just love that the disciples are are like that. (laughs) And so I got to ask the big question then. What about... What about if a follower of Jesus makes a mistake, are they a hypocrite? Because that's a big question to ask now. Because we were talking about pretenders. But what about an actual follower who just happens to not be perfect? Any of those in the house? All right. If a follower of Jesus makes a mistake, are they a hypocrite? By Jesus' definition, no. By Jesus' definition, no. What he defines as a hypocrite is a pretender, someone whose heart isn't surrendered to God, who doesn't love the Lord, but loves the attention and the esteem that they get from looking a certain way and looking like they do. In fact, the Bible's clear that we're all gonna make mistakes. Uh, Paul writes in Romans, everyone sinned and fallen short. And I I think this is a, a good way to remember this. Following Jesus does not make us sinless. Come on, but it should make us sin less, right? Following Jesus, it doesn't make us sinless, but it should make us sin less. Paul writes it this way in Philippians, if you wanna jump with me, otherwise I'll put it up there. Philippians chapter three. Paul says it this way about his experience living out this faith. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I'm in Philippians 3, verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider that loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this. I consider them rubbish or trash that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here's the the big key. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but from that which is with through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes comes from God and is by faith, right? So that the answer, even in Paul's life, is I don't have this all together on my own. The righteousness that I have is because I follow Jesus and I'm committed. I have a heart level connection to God and my faith in God has activated, come on now, Jesus's righteousness now overcomes my unrighteousness and I am found not guilty because of his innocence, Verse 10, 
Uh, well, a hypocrite pretends that they do good deeds without a relationship with God and for the wrong motives, not out of love for God, but out of trying to look good. It's our faith in God that helps us to be right with God. Verse 10, I wanna know Christ. And that's the difference right there. I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering, uh, of sharing in his sufferings and become like, becoming like him in death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this. Catch that? He's like, I don't have it down perfect yet. This is Paul. Paul, Mr. You know, high up here on the food chain. None of us were always feeling intimidated by Paul, right? It's like, oh, we get it, you're awesome. He's like, I haven't obtained all this. Or have I already been made perfect? So are we designed to be perfect right now? No. We can be not guilty because of what Jesus did. But we're gonna blow it. You're gonna blow it. You've probably blown it this morning. I'm just saying, you had to drive here. Odds are you've already blown it this morning. Not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'll stop right there. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the big truth. Here we go. No one is perfect. We are all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. God's still working on me. God's still working on me. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not pretending. He's just still working on me. I love God. I want to do what's right, but that war is happening inside of me. Paul describes it that way, Romans 7. He's like, the things I want to do, I just don't do. And the things I do want to do, don't want to do. I keep on doing them. There's a war going on. And it's happening inside of me but I'm not a hypocrite. A hypocrite's pretending to have a relationship with Christ when they really aren't trying. A lot of times when people start judging believers, they wanna start with morals and track record. And Jesus just doesn't start with that. He starts with your heart, your faith, your relationship with him. That's how he defines a Christian. And then the longer that we're in relationship with him, the more we become like him. So in our relationship with God, we're never asked to be perfect or flawless. We're not asked to be perfect or flawless. In fact, it's clear that we can't do it. It's about our heart and our love for God. And then it's about how we deal with our mistakes and own them when we make them. It's about how we're honest, we repent, we turn, we change our hearts and lives. We're the truth tellers. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We're the ones that tell the truth about who God is, about the world, about ourselves. I wanna take a quick turn here because we've been introspective a little bit. And I wanna jump to Matthew chapter seven for just a moment because Jesus talks about being a hypocrite one other way. And this is something that we, we fall into this trap sometimes. Do not judge. Uh-oh, here it comes or you too will be judged. Catch this, for in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and ignore, 
and paid no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank of wood in your own eye? Here it is, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. I lost it. First take the speck out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now listen, Jesus is really clear that there is a way, come on now, that we get a little hypocritical that isn't directly connected to faking that we're something that we're not. He says the other thing that we do, and we got to be careful about, that church folks do, is we start looking at other people's stuff and we start ignoring our own. We start going, well, look at the way they insert whatever thing is here, and we start looking at our own. And here's the thing. It doesn't say you can't confront. Sometimes we look at this and we're like, you should never judge anyone under any circumstance. You can't even tell someone when they're doing the wrong thing. Remember, we're the truth tellers. We're responsible to stewards of the truth. Here's what we certainly can't do is come in and in an unloving, judging way, declare death into somebody's life instead of love and life. That's what we're not supposed to do. And... If you, come on now, are going to be pointing something out about somebody, you had better be ready for some introspection into your own heart, into your own life, and into your own actions. And you know this, there is nothing worse than someone coming to give you some advice about your problem and you know their problem. Right? They're coming to tell you, well, hey, you know, you should probably get your finances, you know, in order and something, and you know their situation isn't pretty. They're telling you how to raise your kids, and you're like, um, can I introduce you to your kid? <laughs> right? Come on, you know that. They got some godly advice for you, but you know where they were last weekend? I'm just saying. Jesus is saying there's a type of pretending there of moral superiority that we sometimes feel entitled to move into. And he's like, don't you pull that nonsense. Nonsense. Hypocrites judge others by standards they don't keep. They judge others by standards they don't keep. They hear the standards and they love that they get to weigh in because your stuff's been in out in the open and theirs is in secret so they can go ahead and deal with your stuff because it's out in the open. Everybody knows your stuff. You know their stuff, but nobody knows your stuff. So you're like, whoo, this is my chance. Right? Counselors call that projection. Jesus calls it hypocrisy. I have to work hard sometimes when it starts welling up in me to want to be judgy towards somebody. When they got into my world and messed it up and I want to start pointing out all their flaws so they back off. Right? They got into my space, into my whatever I'm trying to do, and they messed it all up. And I just want to, I just want to throw a truth bomb into their life and let it destroy them so that I can deal with my own mess. Come on. <laughs> we struggle with that. We want to do that. We have to be careful. It's easy to look at our spouse's faults, people we look up to. It's easy to expect other people to be perfect and to judge them when they are not becomes easy to do that. But instead of being a judge, I know I was thinking about my pastor friend, even as I wrote this, that blew it. It's easy for me, having not been in his life and in his situation, to just be judgmental of him. That's not what God called me to do. Doesn't mean I don't communicate the truth in love. Doesn't mean I don't stand for the truth. 
But man, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to come in and say, how dare you? How could you? Where's the love and the life in that? Man, instead of being a judge, my first job is to make sure I'm doing right. Several weeks ago, we talked about forgiveness. And this is where that principle comes in. We recognize we've been forgiven. Not only are we the truth tellers, we're the forgivers. We're the ambassador of forgiveness. We've been forgiven much. So we get to be ambassadors of that. Then we have this dilemma. What's our responsibility when someone actually does something wrong then? Well, it depends on who it is. Is it your kids? Well, then your job is to love them, train them, correct them in righteousness. And in love, guide them and direct them. Be there with them. Is it someone you have a close relationship with? Love them. Communicate the truth in love. Be ambassadors of the truth, but do it in a way that's loving. Is it someone you don't have a relationship with, but you really want to drop a truth bomb on? Pray. Ask for the guidance. Let the Holy Spirit give you opportunity to speak the truth in love. And if he doesn't, take it to Jesus. It ends and it changes. <laughs> Every situation sometimes can be different. And it really just depends on what your scenario is in that moment. Jesus doesn't say, do nothing. Just let injustice and untruth prevail. But he says, speak the truth in love. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be judgmental. Don't be the person that comes in just looking to ah, wreck havoc and not deal with your own heart and your own life. I'm going to bring the worship team up. We're just about there. As I was processing this, it was uh, interesting because as I started writing, this message was really humorous and kind of lighthearted, and it got heavier and heavier and heavier as I started thinking about the stuff and things that we carry. I was thinking... <laughs> Paul talking about boasting about his weaknesses and the ability to be transparent with the fact that we're not perfect. So I asked the question, is the church full of hypocrites? My best answer is no, it's full of people striving to be more like Christ every day who have flaws and are pressing towards the goal. Does the church have hypocrites? You bet. It has people. Right? But is it full of hypocrites? I think that's an unfair, an unfair measure. I think the body of Christ is filled with people who have flaws, who are walking it out and getting closer and more like Jesus every day. Are there people in church pretending to be good when they're really struggling like the Pharisees and acting? Of course there are. Of course there are. <laughs> and then I had this epiphany. I was thinking about those who act and just don't want anyone to see behind the curtain. And, and, and I, was thinking, I was thinking, can you imagine this? You go your whole life and you pull off the act. You're there every Sunday. You're at every prayer thing, right? You get your tithe report at the end of the year and it's perfectly 10% to gross or net or whatever. I don't know what it is. You do all the things that, that exterior-wise people go, man, they're great. You show up at the serving days even though you don't want to be there because you know who's going to be there and what they're going to say. You, I just, you do all the stuff but in your heart, you never surrender. You're always in a fight. You never connect with Jesus. And you get to the end of your life and you're here. Maybe you're in like a vase or something, casket. And we're doing your service. And person after person who you convinced you were great tells great stories about you. 
I'll never forget the time they came and helped me put chairs or tables away or they wrote a check and supported the thing and you did all these things but you never gave your heart to the Lord. And the highlight of your eternity is that moment when the people that you snowed speak well of you. I don't think on the other side of eternity you're gonna care too much about that. What would be the good in that? What would be the benefit? Why come and play church? Why do it? So for one to two hours, someday, hopefully far off in the future, a group of us will gather around and speak well of you? That's the goal? It has to be more than that, guys. It has to be. What a shallow end of your life. I would rather be transparent and honest and broken and on a journey with Jesus. I would rather have my flaws out there for everyone to see and say, oh, God's working on me. And here's the story of who I was and who I'm becoming. And I'm not perfect. And it is messy. And I don't have it all together. And my family is like this. And I do struggle with this. And that's who I am today. But in eternity, I shall be made whole. That's the goal. That's what truth looks like. That's what an aversion to hypocrisy looks like. And that's the story I want to live. That's the story I want you to live. Please don't come and play church with me. Don't come because you think I need to see enough bodies in, in the chairs to feel good. Don't come because you're nervous that somebody is, is going to think something of you if you don't make it. Come because you want to be in the presence of the living God because you know he's not done with you yet. Because you have great need and he has great supply. Let's be real. So let me ask you this. I'm gonna ask you to stand for just a moment here because we're gonna be introspective for a second and then we're gonna worship and I'm gonna push you around a little bit because I got pushed around this week and it's only fair. <laughs> As I process this, <laughs> here's the deal. What's the thing right now that you're lying about? What's the big lie? What's the big thing that you're not presenting? I'm not gonna ask you to come up here and declare it. Don't worry. We don't have that kind of time. But what is it? What's the thing you're acting like somehow God doesn't know? Somehow your spouse doesn't know, your family doesn't know. You're just acting like they don't, they don't, nobody knows. Oh God. Would you take a moment? Would you just quietly before the Lord, whatever you have to do to have a moment of introspection, would you do that? Here it is, Lord. Here I am, the mess. That's me. <laughs> Just want to be honest with you. My invitation to you, the band is going to begin to play, and I don't want you to sing with them until you've given whatever that is over to the Lord and made a decision that I'm not going to live a life that's a lie anymore. I'm gonna be honest, come on now, with who I am. I'm broken, but I'm not, come on, I'm pressed down, I'm crushed, but I'm not destroyed. I'm not perfect, but I have a heavenly Father who is perfect, who trust. I can trust, and I can surrender this to him, and I can be made 
whole. So I don't want you to sing until you're there. And when you're there, I want you to lift your voice to the heavens. And I want to see a picture in this house of what it looks like in the heavenly when voices are raised and angels are declaring and the word of God is going forth and it's living and it's alive and it's in people's hearts because we have an authentic, true relationship with the creator of the universe.